may be seated. Um, we're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. For those of you who are not aware, um, our senior pastor, Ryan Fredrich, his, his father, Al Fredrich, the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Longview on Monday, died unexpectedly. And he has served so faithfully and God has used him so powerfully. And uh, we want to take just a few minutes to lift up because our churches have been so intertwined. Uh, we want to take a few minutes just of corporate prayer here. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next minute or two, uh, turn to the person next to you. Um, Al's wife's name is Elaine. Um, they have uh, a, a daughter, Deborah, and her husband, Ian, and their children. And then, of course, Ryan and Mary, Isaiah, Marcus, and Roman. Um, but we would just pray, pray for them as a family, but also to pray for the church body. My, my son serves up there along, as his, along with his wife, Alyssa, and uh, Pastor Nat, and many others that are experiencing and, and feeling the great loss. I thought I was all cried out. <laughs> Take a few moments. Let's just pray. Lord, we want to acknowledge the truth of the circumstance that our brother, our friend, a father, a husband, a grandfather... Lord, because he loved you, he is in your presence... where we long to be. And yet we feel keenly the loss. We know that his family feels the loss more than we can imagine. We know the church body that has been fed and encouraged, exhorted, who have shed tears with him and his family, who have rejoiced together, have preached your gospel together and served one another and their community. Lord, we know that they, they feel the, the sorrow of it. And we pray, even as your word says that you would be the God of all comfort. But more than that, that you would use Pastor Ryan as he teaches there in the pulpit. That the words he speak would, would be your voice to our hurting people. Encouragement, comfort, peace. And especially for those that are there this morning that do not know you, that it would be the words of life. The greatest joy... is to see someone walk into a relationship, to see you and to confess you as Lord and Savior. So we pray you would bless those that are looking for hope. And Lord, as we enter into your word, we not only pray for Calvary Longview, we pray for every pastor, teacher, 
and congregation, Lord, that is earnestly seeking you in your word this morning. The body of Christ all around this community, state, nation, and world. Would you strengthen your church, your pastor teachers, your elders, your servants, We want to glorify your name. We want to hear your voice. Help us leave here this morning different than when we arrived. Make your word come alive, we pray. In the name of Jesus, for your glory, Father. Amen. Give you just a little bit of detail. Uh, there will be a memorial service. It will be held on June the 3rd at New Life Fellowship Church of God in Longview, Washington. We will be sending this information out. They don't have a time yet. That's why we haven't sent out all the information. But if you want to hold the date, again, that is Saturday, June the 3rd, that we'll be doing the memorial service. And we want to make that available to you to support Mary and Ryan and their family together. Um, so keep an eye out. If if you're not already, if, this is, if you consider Calvary Southeast your home church and you're not already um, signed up to receive the Calvary communication or um, email notification about uh, special events or emergencies, you can do that through um, going to the website um, and filling out a Connect card or on the back of your bulletin, there is a space that you can fill and say, hey, I, I want to be added to the email or I want to receive the Calvary connection uh, and get further plugged in, but... Um, Let's continue to lift them up throughout this week. Um, Pastor Ryan's been teaching through 2 Corinthians, and I was scheduled to teach this Sunday anyways. If you're, again, if you're visiting here or new this morning, uh, it's a little thinner crowd because a whole bunch of ladies are at the women's retreat. And I always wonder what it's going to look like because how many dads are like, ah, this is crazy. <laughs> Right, and you wonder what their kids are going to look like when they walk through the door. Because I, 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 I used to be one of those dads, um, not that far long ago. So um, it was God's providence that I was teaching this morning, and it was also God's providence that Pastor Al and Elaine and Pastor Doug and Janet were were supposed to be going to. Um, I can't remember the location, but uh, where Cabo? They were going to be going to Cabo. Um, together. This was something that they had arranged. It was just a, a gift. And um, so Pastor Al had arranged for the pulpit to be filled for the next two weeks. Again, it just so happened. No. <laughs> no, the hand of God was already preparing, right? And so this morning we are going to be taking a break from 2 Corinthians. So if you want to open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 112. Psalms 112 and if you will stand with me as we read the word together. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And this here, here is what the, the psalmist says. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. 
His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will fear no evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. You may be seated. Uh, pray for the projectionist this morning, as I'm probably going to wander from my notes a bit. <laughs> I just, I'm already thinking about this. Um, on, on Tuesday, we met as a staff, and Ryan called, and he just, he wanted to encourage us and just let us know how he was doing. But he shared with us, he asked us, he said, would you do me a favor and would you read Psalm 112? Now, I've been agonizing over what the Lord would have me teach. I, I had no peace in my heart, no, I just, I just couldn't figure it out. And then the events of Monday came and Tuesday and he says, read Psalm 112. And so we read it and I think individually and then Sam and I read through it a few times in a couple different translations. And I thought, wow, this is an encouragement. Um. This, and there is a tie in here. So, as I mentioned, Pastor Ryan's been teaching through 2 Corinthians, and he taught through um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 this last week. And he spoke about intimacy with God, and, and he laid out a few things, and I'm just going to roll through them very quickly. Uh, it, it, the fact that that intimacy with God reveals the ministry that God has called each of us to. And we are each called to ministry, to serve in His name and in His power. Amen? It's the sacrificial nature of serving. It reveals that, that intimacy. The realities or difficulties and the pitfalls that come with serving others, the ministry. But also how the source of power for ministry is found. And it's, it's, it's foundational in humility, understanding who God is and who we are in light of who He is. When we behold Jesus, when we invest in intimate fellowship with God, or, or as John 15 says, to abide in Christ. No matter what circumstances of life we face, we could say, as Paul did there in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Amen? And it seems incredibly appropriate that we would talk about that today. But intimacy God, with God produces something else, something vital to our ability to not lose heart. And that is the focus of Psalm 112, and it is to fear the Lord. And I think myself included, for many years, I had a, 
a great misunderstanding of what that meant. Through a growing understanding of who God is, of his justice, his power, his love, truth, grace, and sacrifice fully displayed through Jesus, we can gain an awe and a reverence or a respect for our King and Creator. And I believe this is what Al did in his life. This fear of the Lord consistently directs our life and results in the blessing of God towards family, the church body, his neighbors, our neighbors, our community. Psalm 112 is a description of what life can look like when we gaze upon the Lord and understand what it means to live in His presence with awe. With awe and reverence and respect. Not afraid. Do you understand the difference? Not afraid of Him. But to be in awe of Him. A holy awe. Just as we were singing, a holy God. Who else can be like Him? Amen? This God who purchased us, for those who believe, who purchased us from certain death, from the wrath of God that is going to come, not maybe, is going to come. The wrath that we deserved. Throughout my life, I've been encouraged by many godly men Al was one of them, to make a habit of reading through the Psalms. I hope that you do that. And I like what uh, David Jeremiah said. He said, in them we discover no book of the Bible peers more deeply into the human soul than Psalms because it invites us to trust God with our rawest emotions. Embrace holiness, look to the Messiah. Do you hear that? To trust God with our rawest emotions. And I can only, again, I can only imagine what Elaine and many others there, uh, Ryan and Mary and their whole family and the church are experiencing right now. Their first Sunday without a husband with a father, and without their pastor, their teacher. They're, we're praying that they would trust God with their rawest emotions. God, this seems unfair. God, I'm angry. God, I can't, I don't know how I can bear the sorrow. But as we trust Him with that, we embrace His holiness his perfection, his goodness that he promises and that we read of in his word. And we look for the hope of Jesus. Amen? Yes, in the Psalms we hear the voices of sorrow, frustration, anger, and hopelessness. David among many of them. We hear people crying out for God for justice, for rescue, 
We hear songs of lament, that's sorrow, praise, thanksgiving, remembrance, and even wisdom. The Psalms point us to our great need, our great need for a relationship with Him and a dependence upon Him. Again, I'll say it again. The Psalms invite us to trust God. To trust God by often, they, they invite us to trust God by often describing His character or nature as the basis for our trust. And, and if you were to read Psalm 111, they are similar psalms. They're, they're called an acrostic psalm, which means they're easy to remember if you read Hebrew, that is, because they're arranged according to the alphabet. Each line or stanza begins with the successive letters of the alphabet. So they were designed to help us hold on to something, to help us remember something critical. And Psalm 111 really emphasizes the nature, who God is and why we should trust him. And Psalm 112 is, has shares some of the same elements, very identical elements. But Psalm 111 closes with verse 10. And it's kind of that precursor now to Psalm 112, and it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <coughs> A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. His praise endures forever. As we think about that, and from this understanding... He invites us, the psalmist invites us to see how a fear of the Lord and the wisdom which flows from the awe of God can orient not only our thinking but our actions (coughs) and can profoundly affect every area of our lives, not only our lives but those around us. And again, as I say, this is the focus of Psalm 112. Read verse 1 with me again. It starts with this very short phrase, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, that first phrase, praise the Lord, is, is the word hallelujah that we sing so often. You know, how many times have we sang that, that, that word hallelujah, hallelujah, and like, what does that mean? <laughs> It means praise the Lord. So if you were to read Psalm 111 and understand who God is, you would naturally say, praise the Lord. If you indeed know the character and nature of God, His love for His creation that brought Him to a place that He would say, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that he did not regard equality with God something to be held onto, but humbled himself, that he became like one of us, right? Humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross, so that he could purchase us back. If we know that kind of character, then we would say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
But this is also, as the writer writes this, he's not just, he's exhorting you and I, praise the Lord, remember who the Lord is, he's reminding himself. He's saying, I have to remember this. It's an exhortation for us to openly and publicly acknowledge the glorious truths that are about to follow in this chapter. And the first truth is that the one who fears the Lord will be blessed. Honestly, I can't imagine how many times I've used that phrase. Oh, Lord bless you, right? Oh, it's so blessed. But again, what what does that mean? What does the word blessed mean in this context? In, in In this verse here, what does that word mean? It's simple. It seems it means to be happy or joyful. Not based upon what you have or don't have, but on who God is in your life. It's an ecstatic joy that is outside of life circumstances. That looks up to God and said, oh, how could I be anything but joyful and happy? It's founded in the unchangeable nature of Christ. And what does that joy do to us? When we see God, well, it draws us right back to Him all the more. It says, who greatly delights in His commandments. This unchangeable nature is discovered through the commandments or the Word of God in the Bible. But do we see it that way? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just being very transparent with you. There are times, even especially I think this week, as I'm reading through very familiar passages in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 9 was one of them, that it's like you find yourself like, yeah, 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 I've read this before, and you just kind of roll through it, right? And you walk away from it not discovering or not remembering that this is the holy word of God. This is the voice of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit speaking to us. As, as one pastor exhorted me over the years, he said, when we open our Bibles, we ought to open them with trembling, a bit of trembling, because the, the creator of the universe, a holy, righteous God, is going to speak to us. But he says that we will greatly delight in his commandments. This reminds me of Psalm 1 verse 2, which describes the blessed man. Perhaps you're familiar with it. He says, but his delight is in what? In the law of the Lord. And what does he do? And in the law he meditates. And in his law he meditates day and night. I just can't get enough of it. It occupies my waking moments. It occupies me as I fall asleep. And again, the the delight or the enjoyment of His Word is experienced through a relationship with His Son. And as Jesus said to his believer, to his followers in his day, he said, the pursuit of this relationship is not one that is hard to bear. Because sometimes I do feel like that. 
but it's not true. Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will do what? Give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the person, for those who love him, who know him, are seeking him, diligently pursuing him, the natural response is to delight in the commands of the Lord and by association discover or experience a blessed joy in life. As we continue on, I think you'll see kind of this progression, the way it moves from the inward to the outward as it changes a person's life. And this is God. This is what God is saying to us this morning. This can be what your life is like. Not by by your own strength, but by drawing near to Him. Amen? Verse 2, he says, His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The effect of meditating upon his word, finding joy in and through it, changes us. This is what Romans says, that it transforms us by the renewing of our minds. But the renewing of our minds isn't the only way it changes things. As it changes us, we naturally want to share this joyous change with others. And it usually starts with our families. It begins to change our families. As we look at our children and say, Oh, I don't want you to experience some of the foolishness that I wandered into or that I chose. I want you to know something different. Or if that's not your story, like I want you to know the safety and security that I've experienced from childhood. It changes me in such a way that I pass this knowledge, this joy, this intimate relationship along to my children. Now, I remember when CCSE was small, In fact, all of us here in this service this morning, we would not have fit into the little sanctuary there at the little red church. There was times when we were crammed in there shoulder to shoulder and we were close enough to the stage. My wife and I sat right here and we put our feet up on the first step of the stage. That's how close we were. We were packed in there shoulder to shoulder. There's a few of you here, but those were joyous times, sweaty on on a hot summer The windows were open, the side windows of the sanctuary. But one of the things that profoundly affected me as a young believer, and I say young chronologically, (laughs) is that um, there was this woman in the church, and she had lived a hard life. And she came... I can't remember exactly who brought her, a friend, a family member, it was a friend, and she came and she heard the gospel, and it didn't take but just a couple of Sundays, and she was 
joyously surrendering, confessing her sins, repenting, and surrendering her life to Jesus. It was a glorious day. And, and it's like in that sanctuary, everyone knew. <laughs> but you know what her greatest joy was? Her greatest desire was that her family would discover the truth that was changing her life. That was her greatest desire. She so badly wanted to teach them and, and, and show them, convince them of what she believed in. As Pastor Doug said to her and to myself and many others over the years, listen, live for Jesus. <laughs> Let your love for him and his word change you in such a way that they have to ask, what in the world is going on with you? Let me, let me go to church with you because something weird is happening. And this is exactly what took place. And one by one, starting with her husband, they would come to church to find out what this Calvary Chapel was all about. To find out why this woman changed so dramatically, left so many habits of her life behind in a very tiny little window, and her joy was so evident all she could do was talk about Jesus. And then his life was changed. And then one by one, their children's lives were changed. And then their grandchildren. So that, just as it says here, a generation was changed. They were transformed as she was. And this is what an intimate relationship that says, I fear the Lord. I, I stand in awe of you. I want to reverently worship you, respect you and your word. <coughs> this is what it does to a person and their family. If you desire, if we desire to leave a legacy, a godly legacy of faith, a lasting impression in this world, it will not be done by amassing great wealth or resources or worldly fame, recognition. No, it will be done by loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and imparting that love to our children. Then and only then will our ch children be mighty on the earth and know true joy. Their effect will be mighty. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. We're going to see that phrase more than once. As we are intimate in a relationship with the Lord, as we daily approach him with awe and wonder, meditating upon his word, delighting in obeying his commands, as we serve others, we will also know his unfailing provision. Now, let me be clear. This verse is not saying that if we love God and serve him, we, be, we will be wealthy as the world considers wealth. No, even as the indication here in the verse says, this has to do with righteousness. 
As one person said, God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. But for those who love and fear Him, we will have what we need. Writing to the believers in in Philippi, Paul remembers how they gave sacrificially, how they gave generously even though they had little. And he he reminds them in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say all your wants. (laughs) Because I'll be honest, I got a lot of wants. (laughs) The Lord will meet our needs in accordance with His timing and His sovereign understanding of the need. And we will find contentment in what He has given us. Earlier in Philippians chapter 4, Paul declared he had learned to be content in all circumstances, no matter how little or how much or how difficult the situation He'd learned to be content with what the Lord had given him in the moment. But here it says that we, wealth and riches are in his house. Yes, we will have what we need. And he, and he will give us enough that we can share it with the others. We're going to see that later in this chapter. That we might not have much, but we can give what we can. We will have wealth and riches, but we also have access as believers in the new covenant, have access to what? Eternal life. The riches of heaven. The knowledge of the glory of Christ. What greater asset could we share with another human being than that? You see, it is, again, the second half of verse 3 that the psalmist orients our understanding. It is righteousness that endures forever, not the fleeting pleasures of wealth in this life. The righteous believer, though poor in this world, is still far richer than any unbelieving billionaire. Do we really believe that? Because everything else fails to compare for the, to the inheritance that is awaiting us who believe. Eternal life. A life that never ends. As, as one of the uh, early commentators, Matthew Henry, said, it is a dawn that never fades. It will be as fresh today as it will be in a thousand years it will be more glorious than we can understand. In awe of Him, we have joy and access to His transforming Word. We have children walking in the footsteps of Jesus. When we have the simple needs of life, what more could there be? He says, well, there is more. Verse 4, a light rises in the darkness for the upright. His, he is gracious and compassionate and righteous. Again, like our study in 2 Corinthians 4, here verse 4 makes us aware of the realities of life in this world. 
we will experience darkness around us, yes? That is the reality. In this life, you will have trouble, but fear not. Fear not. Why? Because the light arises in the darkness for the upright. We will have adversaries, but we need not fear the darkness nor the adversaries. And, it, and, and again, taking us back to first or Second Corinthians, verse 6 of chapter 4, For God who said, light shall shine of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ, as the light and glory of the Lord reaches into the recesses of our hearts and minds, fear of the unknown, fear of the enemy is replaced with this bold confidence. Again, this says, we can go on. We can continue. That makes us believe... Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Furthermore, his light provides knowledge, the ability to apply this knowledge, which is wisdom, to have wisdom, godly wisdom, which causes us to be gracious and compassionate. When we see that the light that has risen in our lives and that's available to others, others it naturally compels us to be gracious and compassionate. Why? Because he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He says to you and I, listen, I'm going to shine the light. Now, I am the light of the world. But more than that, he goes on to say, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Because of me, you are the light of the world. He shines in the darkness. And then he says, go and shine in the darkness. Be as I was to you, gracious and compassionate. This transformation, I believe, is beautifully reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Since we have personally experienced the truth of God's love, we can be what? It says there, (coughs) patient and kind, free from jealousy, pride, arrogance. We can be people who seek the welfare of others first and are not provoked to anger nor hold a grudge. We can use gentle words to turn away anger, rejoicing in the truth as we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, while demonstrating the love of God which never fails. Amen? But there's still more. Sounds like one of those bad commercials, right? (laughs) There's still more! (laughs) Verse 5 of Psalm 112, it is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. As I mentioned earlier, that God's provision is for those who put their trust in him. And again... 
And it's not, you know, this crazy wealth thing that's going around, that's been around far too long. No, this is the need. But God gives us, as I mentioned before, oftentimes more than we need, even though it's so little sometimes, but that we can give it and share it with others. And in this case, he's also talking about the idea that we will have wisdom with the resources that he's given us. He puts us now in the position to share those resources with others, to act wisely with what he's entrusted to us. It does say lend here, that we might even be those people that would wisely steward his resources, invest them in such a way to bring glory to his name and the assistance of others. This is what it says, he will maintain his cause in judgment. It's that we will have sound judgment with what he has given us. To use it in such a way to help someone, not, not enable them. That we will lend according to the, the heart of God. And in doing so, we will experience the truth of Jesus when he spoke and said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We will know the satisfaction of participating in building his kingdom. Of investing in his kingdom to make his name known. Again, that is the second part of verse 5. I like the way the ESV puts it, who conducts his affairs with justice. That we will do those things in a way that demonstrate the compassion and grace, but also the truth of God with the resources that he's given us. And again, this reminds me of Psalm 1. Uh, verse 3 says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. We have a wise mind, the ability to be wise with his provisions to the benefit of others. Do, do, are you seeing it? Are you, do you see that kind of increasing blessed nature of the believer, the one who follows and trusts and fears the Lord? To have the supernatural ability to wholly trust in God as our source of joy and truth, to establish a godly family. We will know the peace of His provision in life and Him as their source, as our source of generosity and stability. And these things form a foundation of life that says that will not be shaken in the storms of life and sets an example to be remembered by those who will see it. The righteous will be remembered forever. Makes me think of a friend of mine who is with Jesus now, Dwayne Chandler. His wife, Esther, attends here with us. Despite being diagnosed with leukemia and lying sick in the hospital, he continued to fulfill the commands of the Lord. And let me tell you, if you sat still for a moment there in his hospital room, he would talk to you about God. 
He would tell you about what God's word has said and the sacrifice of Jesus, and he would do it with joy, though his body was failing him. It was his great desire to use the resources that God had put in his life, even the business that he had. I I just want to see it do well, that God's name would be glorified and my wife would be cared for. He did not care about his life. Yes, he did. I mean, he, he, he longed to be here a little longer, but he was content to say, I trust the Lord. I am not afraid. It set Duane free from fear. Verse 7, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. How many of you remember the terrible collapse of the economy because of Y2K? No one? It's because it never happened, right? But how many, sadly, how many of of the people in the church were running around like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling? The fear of evil tidings had many in the church making foolish decisions and claims. But you see, in contrast... I've been able to, in my life, see, and you, I'm sure, have seen friends laid off from work, especially in the last three years, for months on end, and yet declare their trust in the Lord, and then watch Him, in amazing and unseen ways and unknown ways, meet their needs time and time and time again. I've seen close friends lose thousands of dollars because of crooked business deals or partners, yet unwavering in their peace because they know the Lord is their judge and protector and provider. I've seen missionaries leave the comforts of this this nation and this state and the place in which they live and venture off into dangerous countries where sharing the gospel with another person is reason to forfeit your life, the penalty of death. And yet, not only do they survive, they thrive. And then to hear the stories of how the enemy's plans were crushed when that first believer says yes to Jesus. This is the character of a person that is intimate with God, who delights in His Word, who trusts Him. I like how Spurgeon said it when speaking of the fearless believer. He said, he is neither fickle nor cowardly. When he is undecided as to his course, he is still fixed in heart. He may change his plan, but not the purpose of his soul. Man, I want to be like that. 
And this heart attitude continues to shape and direct the indwelling purposes of God. Verse 9, he is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There's that phrase again. His horn will be exalted in honor. See, the the repetition that we see here in verse 9 serves to further emphasize the point of verse 5. That God has given us provisions, actually more than we need, though it may be little, that we can invest it for His kingdom, but we can also help those around us. It's one, the point of verse 9 is to uh, highlight the generosity and the fact that for the believer it is a direct reflection of their understanding of the generous gift of salvation we have received. Therefore, the generosity and compassion of the children of God will not be forgotten as we think about it, as we help people. And we don't think a word about it. We don't tell anybody. It's just the Lord directing us to care for others. And as those people's lives are impacted by the hand of God. I can't tell you how many times uh, in my 16 years on staff here, the people have approached me and said, hey, um, can you take this card and give it to so-and-so? I don't want them to know who gave it. I don't want them to know anything about it. I just want them to know that the Lord sees them and cares for them. Their desire is that the communication from God is, I love you, I will meet your need in your time of need. And this is the heart and compassion of God, and this is what he says for the believer who is in awe and of God, who fears the Lord. He says, oh, how could I not help? Because I was helped. Like their father, they will reflect his enduring grace. It says there, They will be honored above all others, not because of their good works, but because of His amazing grace. As the Scripture said, that they would turn and glorify God because of the good works that they see in you. As the influence of this kind of person increases, what happens to those who stand in opposition? This is the warning. Because Jesus said that if we are not for him, we are against him. But for the person that stands opposed to God, this is what it says, the wicked will see it. They will see the character and nature of God reflected in his kids. And he says, and they will be vexed. They will be frustrated angry, bitter. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. A few days ago, I was driving over Jennings Hill and passed by a dead skunk on the road. I know exactly what you're thinking. And for just in a minute, what did I do? I gritted my teeth and my face kind of turned sideways at the smell, right? You know, you've done it right? When I think of verse 10, this is a bit of what I imagine. 
right? Just that kind of screwed up face. It's like, ah, foiled, foiled again. I like what 2 Corinthians 2.15 says. For we, speaking of the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, the one who stands in awe and service of the King, says, for we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But there's a difference in the fragrance to one, the aroma from death to death. It's like we just... We make them think all they can think is this smells bad. The realities of a life apart from God, it just infuriates them and it's just the death that awaits. The crushing of the soul. But for those who are looking for hope, he says to the other, an aroma a fragrance of Christ leading to life. Their failed attempts at frustrating the plans of God leaves them frustrated and irritated, and it says there, in shame they will slink away back into the darkness that they love and do not know is consuming them. Again, the Psalms remind us that the wicked are not so. They will be like the chaff. Like the little husks that are on the outside of a kernel of wheat that after it's harvested and put it on the threshing floor and then the wind comes and they toss it into the wind and the chaff is just blown away and it's, it's forgotten. There's no memory of it. This is the way of the wicked. Their desires will perish. God is just, believers, do we believe that? God is just. We can look at around that the mess that the world is in, and we can say with bold confidence, oh, <laughs> they are not, they're not messing with the plan of God. They have their day, but it is going to come to an end. And yet we should still have compassion. Oh God, that could have been me. That might have been me. Jesus says to pray for our enemies. This is how the Lord transforms those pursuing a personal, intimate relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. To behold the face of our Savior with humility and surrender is to be joyful as we delight in His Word, the Word of God. When pursued with a whole heart, this relationship transforms our families and establishes a legacy of faith. To know the Lord means we will know the contentment in His provision and the confidence to endure in all things and to share graciously, compassionately with others. It is to experience the light of Jesus even the darkness hour with grace and compassion. It will be well with them who have the abundance from the abundance of Christ will pour out 
discerning kindness and blessing to others in need. This blessed child of the king will not be shaken from their strong foundation of faith and will be remembered as one who walked with God. As Psalms 195-91-5 says, You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is your strength and strong tower, and His perfect love casts out fear. Because the, we are fully aware that the justice of God cannot be stopped. As a righteous steward of the king, they are generous because they receive generously from him. And, the, and he will honor us. He will honor those who honor him. Today. Do we find ourselves afraid of what the day holds? Afraid of the latest report on television or the news or an article that we read? Are we overwhelmed because we cannot see a way out of the mess that we are in? Does sorrow grip our hearts when we think of what might happen or has happened to our children are we worried about how we're going to meet the needs of our family? Are we more concerned about what people think or what they might do to us? Does it seem like the darkness of the world is snuffing out the light? I pray that we would again hear the echo of the words of Psalm 111 and the opening of 112. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Remember I said that that phrase was repeated many times both in both Psalms? His praise endures forever because we are a reflection. As one writer said, like, like Jesus was a reflection of the Father, like the moon is a reflection of the sun, we are reflecting our Father. And because His praise endures forever, the praise of the righteous will endure forever through Him. Amen? And that should cause us to do exactly what it says in 112.1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. As the worship team comes forward this morning, we're going to have people up here to pray. And I, I, I know we say this every, every week. Listen, we, we, are, we were not created to live in a vacuum. We were created to live in relationship with our Creator, our Savior, and with one another, His representatives. And there are times that we desperately need the strength of others. I was just impressed this morning, even right before I went up, or before worship start, I asked my friend Doug, I said, Doug, right before I go up, will you just lay your hands on and pray for me? Because I'm feeling a little off this morning. pray that you would do the same. If not with someone next to you, then one of the folks up here. 
And then if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, there is an alternate ending to the one in Psalm 112. Your way does not have to perish when you leave this earth, when you die. You have the option this morning of saying, I want a different life. I want different life for my children, my family, my friends, my coworkers, my classmates. I want something different. I want to know joy in all circumstances. It's intrigued me that I've read, read the Bible and there seems to be things that resonate in my heart, but I can't seem to grasp them entirely. You need the Holy Spirit of God to open your eyes and ears. <coughs> and I pray this morning that you would make a step of faith. Will you stand with me? I pray that you would take a step of faith literally that you'd leave where you're seated and walk up to one of these people I'll be down here in the front as well and say like I want to know that joy I want to know the creator the savior Jesus Christ I want my life to be transformed I want my life to be used to transform the lives of others if that's you I pray that you would come forward But I don't, I don't want you to miss this. I know sometimes when, you, when we put, when we invite you to respond, the people that just, I just want to, I need prayer for a circumstance or my life, or I want to praise the Lord, I want to come. Like, don't think, well, I walked up front and people are going to think and I'm getting saved and there's somehow shame in that. There is no shame in that. Amen? That is the greatest joy. It says all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And all heaven rejoices. God the Father is rejoicing when his kids say, oh, I need you. So I pray we would respond to him. Amen.